You're listening to Early Doors Football Podcast with host Mark Roach and co-hosts Dylan Kerr, Tom Watt and Sherelle Casal, a For The Now media production. Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Early Doors Football Podcast. Our guests this week are Emil Heskey and Brandon Jantz, the owner of Temecula FC in California. But first, it's time for... Highlight of the week. And plenty of contenders this week, including Saturday's 3 all draw between Brentford and Liverpool, Man City's 1-0 win against Chelsea, Arsenal's 3-1 win against Spurs, and Wigan extending their 100% record in League One. But this week's highlight of the week came just after episode six was out, so it counts for this week, and here it is, courtesy of ITV Sport. Brights. Paris with loads of space. Oh, and almost brought down. Must pick out an English shot in the middle. She does. And England have ten. And Beth England off the bench again to add that tenth goal. The late goals coming for the Lionesses. Yes, that was England's 10-0 World Cup qualifying win last week in Luxembourg. And that is this week's Highlight of the Week. And now a warm welcome to the Early Doors Football Podcast to Emil Heskey and Nadim Badran. Uh, We're going to ask you both about your new project together, Final Whistle Sports. But first, Emil, I'd like to start by taking you back 20 years to September the 1st. Mm-hmm. 2001, and one of the greatest nights in the history of the England football team. Germany won, England five, and you scored in that game. Yeah. Tell us how it felt to be part of a game like that. Amazing, to be honest with you. Again, um, if we go back even further, uh, we lost the last game in the old Wembley, so that, that didn't go down too well. Uh, of all things, a Diddy Hamann free kick. Um, even though Didi Hanan was a fantastic player, I don't know, free kicks was his was his forte. But uh, great, great goal from him. Um, then going into their backyard, and it was it was a case of they hadn't actually lost a game at home in fifty plus games, I think it was. So it was going to be it was back against the wall. It was going to be tough, etc. But. Um, and then we went down. We did, we went one nil down as well after some like seven minutes. So oh, could have, couldn't have been a worse start. But yeah, we galvanised, and I think at that day we we actually scored um, goals at critical times. So we actually went in half time two one, and we scored I think, just before half time. And 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 psychologically, you've got an edge over someone if you do that. And they've got to come out all guns blazing to try and get back. And then we actually scored again one uh, after half time, and then yeah, got sealed it with the fifth. So yeah, and uh, it's a fa- fantastic night. And I remember watching that game, and it was you know like you say that that goal. I think it was Yanka, wasn't it? The first seven minutes, and uh, you know a bit deflated. But then uh, I think Michael Owen got the first goal of his hat trick, didn't he? Um, and can you remember Emil, who was the only player to get booked that night for England? Jesus Christ. <laughs> did you? <laughs> you? You didn't punch a ref again, did you? No, I don't even know. What did I do? Kick? I can't, I can't oh, remember. Kick, uh, uh, tackle. It was a tackle. I remember the goals, okay. but not... not yeah. the goals. Well done, mate. Can I just um, ask something quickly about this, Mark? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, that was 2001. Another thing happened in 2001, which was Liverpool won a treble. That's it. And M, I think, got five trophies. Um, yeah. who do? what do you get questions of the most? Is it about the 5-1 or is it about the treble? 5-1. Yeah, that's first. Yeah, huh? Yeah, the five one is always first. Again, again, I think when wherever I go, um, whether it be Liverpool fans or or just the England fans, English yeah. people in general, the five one is the first one, and everyone remembers yeah. where they were when the game was being played. So it was an iconic game that everyone even has stuck in their memory. Even 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 people who are older now but were kids back then, in their teens remember exactly where they were when that game was being really? played. So, yeah, wow. it's fascinating, fascinating. And uh, Emil, can I ask you, you're um, an ambassador now for Leicester City Women, aren't you? And and we, mm. had their, we had their keeper, Sophie Harris, on as a guest last week. And I asked her about your involvement and she said that um, she prefers not to face you in training because you still hit the ball so hard. So um, <laughs> what, what's, it, what's it like being involved in, in the Leicester women's team set up now? That is fantastic. Again, <clears throat> women's football is growing massively. Um, Leicester obviously invested in <clears throat> to bring Leicester City women's under their banner and and invest and invest in it uh, a lot in the sense of we have our own training facility. I think in Europe we're probably the only only um, the only team to have a designated training facility for ourselves. It's just for ourselves. So um, that's fantastic investment that the club's put in, etc. We've got a fantastic team um, when it comes to management as well. The manager's done fantastic in what, what he's actually done and how he's brought the team together. Um, got up last season, obviously, and now we're just trying to consolidate and and, and have a, a stay in the WSL, which is, fun, which is great. For myself, I, I started off um, as ambassador, Helping around, uh, helping around the place as an ambassador, but now kind of morphed into a bit of coaching and a bit of recruitment. So I'm, I'm, I'm delving a little bit more into it, which is fine. Emil, great to speak to you live from, well, on Zoom from South Africa. Um, it's fantastic. And I'm just having a chuckle there because all I remember of that 5-1 is when Anton Deck made that World Cup song where when they went from Campbell to Rio, Rio to Scolzi, Scolzi to... Beckham, Gerard, to whoever, Eski, to Owen, 5-1. I can't remember it now, but it's in my head. Emil, obviously, you know, you're a Liverpool legend um, and how they won the the league um, for the first time, well, the first Premier League trophy uh, under Jurgen Klopp, obviously winning the Champions League. So this season, so far, you know, it's been a bit of a mixed start. How do you think uh, Liverpool are going to do this year? Again, if... (laughs) The, the key thing with a lot of teams is how how can they keep their starting eleven fit, and that's going to be the key thing. When you're looking at Liverpool starting eleven, it's, the, it's arguably the best in the league. Arguably, Man City have a good one. I think the only thing Man City are missing is is a, is a is a central focal point when it comes to the actual um, forwards. But when you're talking about um, about team, arguably Liverpool yeah. have the have the, have the strongest. So. If, if, if Liverpool could keep that team fit for a season, um, you're looking at them challenging with Man City. Uh, well, it's going to be a three-horse race for me. Uh, Chelsea are going to be in there in, in and about it because, again, I think Tuchel's got them playing really well and they are solid. They don't... Um, 
they stay in games. And this is one of the things that everyone keeps talking about. Oh, just stay in the game, stay in the game. Because if you stay in a game, you've got a chance of nicking it at the end. And I think Chelsea have that staying, staying ability of staying in the game. Um, I wouldn't say they're going to dominate Man City. I wouldn't say they're going to uh, dominate Liverpool, but they stay in that game. And that's one of the key yeah. things that he's got. Um, so I think it's a three-horse race, and I think they've definitely got a chance of winning that, to be honest with you. Again, it, but again, it's all about whether they can keep that starting eleven fit. In my opinion, we are watching the greatest defender in the history of football, or none, in Virgil van Dijk. And there's no other team that has had the bonus of having fans back and having a major player back more than Liverpool. With Van Dijk there and the stadiums being full, Liverpool have the biggest, biggest margin for upswing. Really do. But like I said, the starting eleven is strong. We've been playing the same front three for the full, for what, four years now? Four, four years, years, every game. Uh, Jota's come in. He's been really good, but we need one more. Harvey Elliott, it's, it's a real shame. Uh, he's very well rated and he would have been good competition as well but obviously we know what happened so if I had to bet on it I'd say Liverpool will be in the top two I'm not sure it's going to be one but contrary to you Ems I think United are going to challenge as well we don't want we don't want them to <laughs> I know I know mm. I do apologise I didn't uh, I meant to mix start for the Premier League not not just for Liverpool I mean, as a coach uh, here in South Africa, I watched the AC Milan game, Emil, and I thought mm-hmm. the second half was just, you know, it was just a, a, a dream to watch. And I've watched it twice. You know, you know, we get repeats in, in South Africa because everybody loves the football. And I've watched it twice. And I think the intensity that they play at, you know, not just, not, I mean, that, that's the whole squad. Not just the starting eleven, but the, the substitutes that come on. I think the intensity that they played in against that, against AC Milan, as you said, coming in at halftime two-one down. Remember, you went in two-one up against Germany. You're saying about the intensity they could have sat back and AC Milan could have taken control, but they didn't. They went at AC Milan and, and thoroughly deserved that win. Yeah, I think this is the key thing. I think with Jurgen as well, he, he if you don't if you don't match that intensity that he wants, and it, and, and it all starts from the front. We've had the probably the arguably the best the best player for that in in um, in the world, I would say, in Ian Rush, who defended from the front. And one thing when yeah. you defend from the front, you make you make everything else easier for everyone else. So, and I think this is one of the key things that. Um, that Jurgen wants, he, he wants his, his forwards to work hard. He wants his players to work hard because, again, football's not easy. It's about running. It's about running. It's about working. And then they've got to find margins or who has the better technical ability. Um, which is that's you know, exactly, so, that's sorry, exactly you know in, in in the way in the way I get my team in South Africa to play. Remember, we're playing in temperatures of 35, 36, 37 degrees, hmm. and we have to play at high intensity. And we, you know, when we get it right, we overrun teams. In, yeah. and, and that's why I like, why I like watching Liverpool because I learn and I pick up little things that are going to help, you know, the, the players that I coach every day and, and, and take into games. But no, I appreciate that, uh, Emil. Emil, I've got another question, but I've got a mad, mad Liverpool supporter here. His name's Will Darrier. He's from South Africa, but he, he came especially... To, to, to actually greet you and he wants to ask you a question. It's actually a very, very good question. So this is Will. Will, how are you? Cool. Um, I'm good, thanks. Yeah. 
Good, good stuff. Uh, so I think the question is, you know, if, uh, if you were to have made a signing for Liverpool this season, what kind of signing would you have made? Um, you know, what could we have reinforced on? I think um, for me, I think, and it's, it's, it's key what the, um, I would say a centre forward. I would say a centre forward that's going to get you 20 plus goals a season. I would say a centre forward that's going to be commanding in that middle um, there as well. Um, I love I love Firmino. I, I, I love the way that he plays, but I think it, at times it needs a little bit of something different. And yeah, I would say, um, when and looking at Lukaku going to Chelsea, uh, United signing uh, Ronaldo, who would probably be he would probably play more forward anyway, centre forward. Um, I just think uh, Liverpool could be could be missing the trick when it when it comes to a centre forward that's going to be twenty five goal 20, 20 plus goals a season. Um, we know that Salah is going to get you twenty plus. We know that uh, Mane is going to get you fifteen plus. Do we know that Firmino is going to get you 15 plus? Um, we need someone who's going to get 20, 25 plus. And Nadim, oh, I want to. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Emil. Are you not available? <laughs> no, too old. Legs can't move. And Nadim, I wanted to bring you back in. Uh, you've started Final Whistle Sports with Emil. Tell, tell us about mm-hmm. that. So, uh, em, em and I are, are close friends. We met 10 years ago in Beirut. Um, we had a very, very enjoyable week together. I don't know if you boys have been, but it's um, it's quite a place. We stayed in touch. And last Christmas, I think the UK were having really strict lockdowns while Dubai had basically moved on. Uh, so we started chatting about him coming, coming on board and let's do something together. And this is where we reached the conclusion that there's a market opportunity for us. Uh, Mark Dillon, if you live in the UK, you know that you can have access to players 10 minutes down the road. London is what, 21 football clubs? Something like that? It's down the road. In the Middle East, where I grew up in Lebanon, the thought of meeting Emil Heskey, when I was 19, was galaxies away. Galaxies away. And what we're doing is we're providing that access to 300, 400 players, to fans, to companies, to podcasts, to all, to all sorts of uh, monetization, merchandise, uh, pro- social media promotion, and uh, the face-to-face. So that's that's what we do, um, and that's what we've been building for. I think it's four months now since we since we started. Um, yeah. Oh, that's one, fantastic. One that's fantastic. Uh, um, just touching on that because I don't know how much we're going to delve into it. Um, so we, we are also Leicester City partners in the Middle East. So it's our role to get Leicester City uh, a footprint in the region. Uh, the Middle East is going through a big, 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 big upswing because of the World Cup next year. Yeah. So it's 14, 14 months away, more or less. So everybody wants to get involved on some level in the sport. Uh, so we're working on the Leicester thing. And I can tell you now, we haven't done it officially. We've signed uh, Luis Figo. Roberto Carlos and Michel Salgado for one week of events in the Middle East, uh, early Feb. So, um, so yeah, really exciting. A lot of hard work, a lot of travel. I think M knows that I, uh, I don't stay in one place too long. Well, that's what that's what I said before. They said, "Oh, where is he? Is he in Dubai?" I said, "I don't know where he is. I know he's, he's based <laughs> in Dubai, but I can't tell you where he is right now." Well, I'm actually going <laughs> on Sunday to Cairo, mate. 
anyway, so yeah, so that's a that's a principal focus on the business. And in all honesty, it was it was started for a bit of fun to get to see Emma a bit more, and and you know, as long as we don't lose money, whatever. But now, I think we all we see the potential of of it being a strong, sustainable, financially resolute business. You know, as a football fan, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. I think it's fantastic what Emil's doing. It's, you know, to, to, to go in these outreached areas and, and give the opportunity for, for, for fans to see the heroes and, and, and be a part of it. I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. Thanks a lot, man. I mean, that's uh, the ethos, right, Ems, of the business. Um, yeah. I've been... I've been very lucky because because of M and because being friends with Emil opened a lot of doors. I mean, as you can imagine, it provides legitimacy straight away to whoever else you speak to. M, I mean, I know he doesn't like me saying this, but he's a better man than he was a player even. And my responsibility is to protect his name in every single thing we do. That's how I see it. Um, and having been friends with him, I see the sort of dynamic with fans. So this is what I want to replicate, Dylan, for fans like uh, the gentleman that just came on, for example. Yeah, like, again, you know, he's a big Liverpool fan. And when I told him I was doing this podcast, he picked me up in Johannesburg, brought me to Pretoria to his football facility, where he actually he, he, he engages with local uh, people. People pay, obviously, but he, he, he hires his facility out free to, yeah. to African people. That, that can't afford, you know, the the subscription or the any yeah. he, he actually provides taxes, and and when he said you know, uh, and he's a massive Liverpool fan, I said yeah, you can ask a question, you know, but uh, Emil, um, one of the questions is why did you get involved with the final whistle sport? What what well, what? In- well, this is interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah well, I'm going thing- to video this. <laughs> now the reason I got involved again is uh, me and Nadim like he says we've known each other for a long time and Nadim was asking oh do you fancy coming over to Dubai blah blah flying I said yeah but he goes yeah we can we can we can work out we can go and uh, meet and greets we can do this because I'm I'm actually quite good at the meet and greets and uh, sitting down with fans and having a conversation with them because it's, it, all it is is conversation because again we're all fans when you when deep down you think Absolutely. you think when you look at the when you look at the players you can have a really good conversation because some of the most of them are actual fans of a club it might not be the club that they're playing for but they're fans of a club and you can have banter with them you can have joke with them everything and this is what we want to try and provide for for fans all around the world where you can actually go and explore I, I've I was lucky enough to play for Liverpool and I didn't, you don't realise how big Liverpool Football Club is until you actually leave England. <laughs> when you leave England and you go to Australia and you're walking in Australia and someone stops you and says, oh, you're so-and-so. I'm like, yeah. And you think that, you, you, you realise how big it is. England, uh, Liverpool went to, to Australia and filled a 70-seater 70 70, stadium. You know, you've got uh, you've got biggest no. some of the biggest clubs in in uh, in uh, England going to America and putting on and filling the stadium hundred thousand. And someone asked me about Australia because I played in Australia, and they said yeah. they said about Australia, oh, it was great that you filled uh, they filled um, uh, seventy thousand. I said they could put a hundred thousand in Australia and put it in three or four different cities, they'll still fill it. Yeah, and they could do 100%. it uh, 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 one day after another, and they'll still fill it. 
because the fans, the, the, the football has this has this pull. So it was just about um, what can we do to to maximise the potential, especially when it comes to players when they finish playing and they want to do a bit of travelling and they want to they want to interact with their with their former audience and and the audience that they got going forward is because again some of us are moving into punditry so we still have an audience. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was that and that was something that um, Nadine came up with and I thought yeah this is actually interesting. I agree with you because you know when, when you're doing that you know and you're having that dialogue with, with with supporters with 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 people that are just like you you know just like me you know you, you're having a chat about football and they want to hear the old stories they want to hear about you know your, your ideas on the new uh, Premier League on European. Uh, championships on the Euros They're, and they appreciate that they respect it and I think it's it's fantastic and here in South Africa we've got two Liverpool supporters clubs and uh, one's in Pretoria one's in Durban and you have to be a member you would think that most of the fans would be expats or British Irish uh, Europeans but they're not they're actually South Africans and my friend who's a big Man United fan he's, he's got this moped this uh, um, one of these Vespers that's actually covered in Man United and he actually goes there and he's banned. He's not allowed to go in the pub, you know, because it's a Liverpool supporters group. But the banter's there and they don't they don't hold it together. So they just say, you're not allowed in. <laughs> you're not a Liverpool yeah. fan. If you're not a... Sorry, you're not allowed in. And you're right, you don't realise how big Liverpool is until you leave, until you travel the world and you get inundated by requests. And and and, and it's great that you're doing that. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's good for a football fan. Okay, and um, why do you think Liverpool are so big? We know they are. Why? That's that's what I'm interested to see from your brains. I think I've got I a think, couple of theories, but I think obviously um, a lot of the, a lot of it is off the success of the '80s, um, and I think the engagement they've had now from since then going forward with the fans. So I actually do, I actually have done a bit with Liverpool when it comes to ambassador work and they, they do a lot when they go and interact with the different um, supporters clubs all around the world. And I think they've maximised that very, very well. So I was actually two years ago, just as just as the, the lockdown started, I was in India with uh, the ambassador group uh, me and Jason McAteer doing uh, interactions there. I've done some in... I was supposed to be going to Botswana. Uh, and I can't remember where else. There was somewhere else. It might that, there was Africa. a plan. I'm not sure if you guys know, there was a plan for South Africa. I think that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. I was just thinking that yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it was South Africa that I was supposed to go to. COVID. COVID. Uh, COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. Somebody... Want some, and I don't know if it was it was a, a, a real offer, but Liverpool was supposed to open an academy down in Durban, and it never materialised. And you know, the rumours are it was all a hoax. It was all some businessman, you know, was back it backed up on Liverpool supporting him, and I don't think that was the case. So it never materialised in Durban, and and, and it was uh, this guy was going to pump millions into this project, but it, I don't think it, it, it never materialised. I mean, that, was, that was two years ago when I first came back to South Africa. Yeah. 
So we was, I was, and I think that's a key thing where you're actually doing uh, engagements and with with your supporters. So while, during the lockdown, we were doing a lot of Zoom calls with uh, different uh, supporters clubs. So I think it's just that interaction there, just keeping the fans excited. And then football, winning trophies will always, because again, whose uh, who's, um, flavour right now is, is, is Man City. But you never know in 20 years' time when uh, when they're winning more and more and they're in um, in the in the mix a bit more that their their fan base is going to grow. But at this moment in time, it's, it's Liverpool and Man United who've taken who've captured that and 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 are, and are maximising it the best. And and Nadine, just coming back to uh, an earlier uh, point that you made about other players involved. So, which other players have you got in this? I think you mentioned about 300 and. Finally, you know, give us the the, the contact information if, if people want to find out more. Sure. Um, listen, I started off in December with one phone number to anyone linked in football, and that was Emil. Um, I have today 350 contacts on my phone from football and the football ecosystem, uh, merchandise, all of that, agents, whatever. So the way to the way to learn or to way to way to get exposure is by using the social media channels. So if a if a customer or a fan wants to meet Emil or anyone else, they can just come on our website, finalwhistlesports.com, done. And now I'm delighted to welcome our next guest, who is the owner of Temecula FC in California in the USA, Brandon Jantz. Brandon, welcome to the Early Doors Football Podcast. I'm glad to be here, Mario. I really appreciate it. No, you're very, you're very welcome. We're pleased to have you on the on the show. And Brandon, um, I just wanted to start by asking you. Um, most people, I, I guess, in the UK would not be familiar with with your club. Can you start by uh, telling us where where you sit um, in terms of a level compared to, say, the MLS? So we're the fourth tier. Um, on, in terms of standard of play, probably the best example would be the conference. Um, would be most of our clubs are around the conference level, some a little above, some a little below. Sure. So is it um, in, in terms of the players, uh, are they semi-professional? Are they fully professional, a bit of both? So you can register as amateur or you can register as professional. That's up to the club to decide. And that just changes a lot of your taxes, stuff of that sort. Um, obviously, your budget changes with that as well. Uh, and Brandon, you're the owner of the club, and we've actually known each other um, from the days when you were setting up the club. And I, I think you've been going um, running for eight years now, if, if I'm correct. Can you yep. talk through how your role as owner of Temecula came about and what was the process of, of getting that started? Yeah, um, it, it very interesting process, to be honest with you. But um, when I came back from playing and coaching over in England, um, I came back with, like, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, like, really wanting to help things here back in my hometown of Temecula, where I grew up. And when I got involved, really all there was here was ever was youth, like youth competitive soccer or recreational soccer. And so I started to get involved and, and finally re- like started to realize after a few months, hey, wow, this really isn't about soccer at all. It's just about making money and, you know, um, 
not really about developing kids and getting them anywhere. Um, and so after doing some thinking, I left the first club that I was coaching at here and went to another one and then found it was the same way there and went to another one and found it was the same way there. So then after a few years, I was really kind of discouraged with the game, um, had, uh, a deal that didn't really work out to buy Gretna football club over in um, Scotland when they were going, going uh, under. Um, Cause I really wanted to get back involved in the game over, over in the UK, missed it. Um, and then there was a tragic accident in, in our family where my best man, my wife's brother died over in Spain while attending school and did some soul searching, some real, just like thinking, what, what am I going to do? Um, you know, what, what's life all about, you know, when, when you lose someone like that and makes you kind of really put things into perspective. And so I asked my wife, you know, if it was okay, if I invested the money into starting a club at this level and she just like got really mad <laughs> because she was with me as a pro here in the U S and every team I played for went bankrupt. So she knows the game. She knows there's no money in it. She knows that, you know, there, there's no profit in, in that level of the game. And so, but I convinced her anyways, and she allowed me to, thank God. And um, I partnered up with a good friend of mine at first, and we started it. Um, pretty simple cliche in a Starbucks, came up with a name, and um, we just uh, started putting the pieces together. Luckily, we had both played at a very good standard. And been been around some top clubs and some top coaches, so we knew kind of really what we wanted to build, what the idea of a football club was, um, and then we just started to put it together. And I guess the the big achievement was actually getting started, but the the fact that you're you're still going eight years later, you, you must be very very proud just to be going for that long, based on your previous experience what, what would you say for you is, is your you know your proudest achievement in those eight years yeah you know you're pretty much right there is continuing on um they, we go through so many football clubs at this level and even at the professional level in the u.s you know below the mls and the mls in their time even had a really rough time where they were losing teams um bleeding money I don't want to make it all about, you know, money, but the thing is, is, you know, as a business, you got to at least be breaking even or getting close. Otherwise people are going to eventually pack it in and they're going to say, I just can't do this anymore. You know, unless, you know, you're obviously multi, multi millionaire or billionaire that needs to throw money away every single year or has that money to throw away, which most towns don't. And we're the same. So keeping going, we've had, um, really a couple years that we had bad years in terms of attendance at games and it cost us like either I had to dip into my pension or my 401k to bail the club out and keep the club going. Um, so those are the ones that have been really kind of the toughest. Um, and luckily my wife has been always like extremely supportive. Um, there was one time where I was like almost ready to just sell the club. Somebody, else wanted to take it on and she just said don't do it you know so 
kept going. And here we are today. I can't believe we got through COVID. We're still not through COVID yet, to be honest with you. We haven't sold a ticket in 18 months. Um, so we had to play our whole season last year. Everybody volunteers um, and not being able to use the stadium because of COVID restrictions. Uh, so we got we got through the season. Um, and now we're hoping, you know, that this next one will be will be open. But we never know. And just talk about the, the popularity of, of football or, or soccer, as it's called, of, of course, in the US. Um, and also, you, you've, um, you, you sort of touched on it earlier in terms of the popularity of, of the MLS and, and soccer in, in America. How has the influence of um, overseas players, uh, such as David Beckham and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, how has that helped with the popularity of the game in the USA and you know, now you've got David Beckham's club in, into Miami. How, how has that had an impact on the game in, in the US? I think it, I think the biggest impact is it, it makes it cool. And I don't, I don't want to say it makes it important. I don't want to say it makes it a mainstream thing, but it, picking the right person, they did good with Beckham because, because Beckham is, he's a cool guy and he's got a cool wife and he's a good looking guy. And he, he brought more than just being a top player he brought the game to where like people would say, Oh, I went to an MLS game. Oh, that's cool. Did you see Beckham? Oh, that's cool. Where before, even when I was playing, you know, back in the nineties and early two thousands, it still was not cool at all to be into soccer whatsoever in this country. People would, Oh, what do you do for a living? And you're filling out forms. Oh, a professional soccer player. You get paid to play soccer. You know, in they're like, that's not a real sport. People would make fun of you, you know, and it was only the big sports. And one of the the things is until Beckham came in, it was it was a real struggle for soccer to be hip and be cool. And they did a good thing with that. Um Zlatan, Zlatan, I don't know as much about making it cool, but he's he's a character. He brought people, you know, brought attention out and um, but I think where Beckham was here to really, to build and be an ambassador, Zlatan wasn't really coming to be an ambassador, obviously amazing world-class player and everything he did on the pitch. Um, but Beckham for sure helped bring the game into the mainstream of business, of People brought the women who spend the money, you know, out to the games because they want to see Beckham. So it's a good decision by MLS to bring him over. And how popular now is is the Premier League and, and the English game in general in, in the US, would you say? It's the most popular it's ever been. And it only gets popular. I mean, you don't see you don't see local uniforms around town, but you see Premier League uniforms around town. Um, it, I definitely say it's the most popular watch. So people are definitely keeping their eyes on what's going on in the Premier League. And, and how does that compare to the other, the, the big, the really big sports in, in the US, basketball and baseball and that sort of thing? How, how does that compare now? It's tough. I think it's it's gaining on them. And I think those those games are, unfortunately, those sports, you know, you don't ever wish a sport, you know, tough times but you know the 
basketball, baseball, hockey, um, American football is still number one, if, if I'm correct, but um, soccer, like the Premier League, is definitely catching up in, in all areas. I mean, it's an amazing game, as you know. It's an amazing game, and they do a great job bringing those communities in into the households, and I think that's what makes it a difference. You know, they, they, they've figured out how to translate that passion even though some of it, you know, it's a little bit crazy. They do a good job not showing that, you know, and they bring in the passion of the community and what it means to support the, the local club into the households. And the people can really feel it. They feel like they're there. And so I think it's only going to grow. Uh, and we've recently had a, a situation where you, you mentioned that the, the the level that you play at is, is the conference and it's now called the National League. And, and we've got a team called called Wrexham who play at that level. Yep. And they've they've got the uh, the new owners um, from from Hollywood, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. Um, do you think this would help with the profile of, of soccer in the, in the US? And, and do you see more American owners you know, coming into to the UK and into football in, in this country? Yeah, I, I don't think it helps soccer in the US, but I do think it helps soccer in, in, in the UK massively. Um, it puts um, millions of eyes there, number one, but it also starts to get people to question, why are people investing over there? What are they investing in? Are they making money? Is it for the passion? Is it for the communities? And like when you go, you go back to the way they do these stories and the way they talk about the cities and the people and the supporters and how long they've been coming. And, you know, you know, you know yourself, if you've been there and you've been to games and you lived in the UK and you, you've been a part of football, you know what it is, but it's hard to come back or come to the U S and tell people, Oh, you know, there's this thing here and it's, you know, football and it's amazing. And you have they're doing a much better job in giving that experience to people without having to fly over and spend, you know, a home and away match with a football club over there and get that experience. They fall in love with it here. They have a documentary and the people just all of a sudden they're just fans of that club and they love that club and they're going to support them even though they've never even been to that city. So that aspect of it, I think is, is very, is very good for, for the UK, for, for every every aspect of merchandise visibility um but i think it and then the people turn and they look around in their own community and they're just like we don't have that here well we do have teams but no we don't have that type of support we don't have that type of history we don't have those beautiful old stadiums you know um so they get a little discouraged and they just keep their eyes abroad uh, and talk to us a little bit about the the model for the way that football clubs are run in the US because it's very different to to how it's run in the UK. Okay, yeah. So for the most part, it's different. It, it depends now because now we have so many different levels and we go from like independent clubs to franchises. So um, the franchise, obviously, it's all together. It's one entity, even though. You know, you have owners that own the franchises compared to like an independent club, which we would be an independent club. Nobody 
owns us, you know, our rights, they're all ours. Um, we just play in a league. Um, so depending on there, you, you do have, you do have changes. So one, some of the bigger differences I would say that people would be used to is you can't kind of just go in and buy whatever player you want, like at the MLS level and just fill your team up. If you have the money, you have rules you have to go by, you have to draft players in. you have to trade players, you have salary caps, you have, you know, all these things that, um, I got to imagine, um, are ridiculous, a ridiculous headache, um, compared to having a team over in the UK where you have the money, you agree on a fee, you agree on their wages and you make a deal or you don't. Um, and that's a little bit different with how U.S. sports work. Um, and people aren't really used to it. I think coaches that come over, foreign coaches, have a very, very difficult time like saying, looking at their team, I, I need a right back, I need a left mid, and I need a striker. Um, well, what do you mean I, I can't get one? Like, what do you want me to do with this then? You know, and build teams, make it, it's hard to build teams and stuff like that. So I think that's a major difference. Thank you, Brandon. Great to have you as a guest on the show. And now it's time for our weekly look at women's football with Sherelle Casal. And Sherelle, we've missed you over the last couple of weeks. So I just want to start by asking you um, if, you're, if you're better now, because I know you, you haven't been uh, too well. Yes, feeling better now. On the road to recovery, so right. yeah. Good, thank you. That, that's great to hear. And um, I looked at the, uh, the Pompey women's result um, from Sunday and I saw the score and I looked at the team sheet and you weren't on there. So you must have been a bit gutted that you couldn't get to play in that game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would have made my goal ratio um, a lot better, I think. But no, really, really, really happy for the girls. Um, three points, clean sheet. So yeah, not much more you can ask for. And 11 goals is phenomenal. Yeah, and that was obviously a league game, wasn't it? So I think uh, yes. you're up to third now, aren't you? I think you're up to third place now. Yes, we are. Yeah, I think um, Oxford done us a favour with Bridgewater. So <laughs> um, they beat them 3-0. So yeah, it helps. And um, looks like a bit of competition for you. Um, I don't know if you're still top scorer, but there are three hat-tricks in that game. Danny Lane, Sammy Quayle and, and Shannon Albury. So that, that I mean that's great if you've got if you've got a number of players that can score goals that's, that's always great for a manager isn't it to have that luxury if you like Absolutely and it also in the league in a whole it looks great when you've got four five six players um you know in the top 10 goal scorers so all in all it's great you know I'm really happy especially Danny Lane um come over from Lewis scoring uh, Sammy the exact same coming over from Lewis and scoring um, and Shannon's been at Portsmouth for, for a long time now so for her to get a hat-trick as well it's great and it's good to have different goal scorers yeah and, and do you know are you still top scorer do you know um, I'm not no uh, in my team yes but in the league not so um, yeah I need to get back fully fit soon <laughs> ASAP, really. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, you're away to, to Gillingham on Sunday. Do you, do you think there's a chance you'll be back for that game? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Just see how I am I'm in training, physically, mentally. So, hopefully. Even being on the bench would be great to kind of get back involved. Yeah, and how do you see that, that game going against Gillingham? 
Um, they're a good team. They, you know, they, they sit back. They're very um, organised. Um, and, you know, it's always very hard as a team we are that we like to press. It's going to be a hard game because also we've got to then watch their counter. But, you know, it, it's a game that we can then, you know, still get three points. Um, and it's a game we can get a couple of goals, but also we've got to be careful on on what they can do as well. So... And then um, I think the following game is uh, against Chichester on on uh, Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I went to the six at home. And it's a then, big game. And that, that that's uh, that's pretty much a local derby, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. That's a really first game. Yeah, um, it gets very heated. Uh, even when I I played back at Chichester um, about four or five years ago now, probably. You know, it was always heated then. So, yeah, no, and it's under lights, it's at home. So that's exciting. That's the one I really want to kind of get back properly fit for. And, and then it's a it's a proper local derby I saw in a, in a few weeks against Southampton, isn't it? So we'll... we'll yeah, t- the 10th of October, yes. We'll, we'll talk about that one uh, perhaps next week. But um, just wanted to talk about the WSL at the weekend. And it's all about Arsenal and Chelsea, really, isn't it? Arsenal 5-0 against Man City on Sunday... Um, Chelsea 6-1 at, at Man United on Sunday and Arsenal top with uh, the maximum three wins. Um, Spurs, So you've got Arsenal and Spurs at the top of the table. Spurs second on goal difference, also won their first three games. And I remember when I asked you at, right at the start of the season who you said, uh, who, who you thought would win the WSL, you said Chelsea, but it's looking like Arsenal could challenge them, do you think? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, I watched the game yesterday evening, and yeah, it was it was ridiculous how good Arsenal pressed. Uh, Man City couldn't keep up with it. Um, just their movement. I mean, you've got Katie McCabe at one stage, a long ball into her. She's up top. Um, you know, the, the flexibility Arsenal got is quite scary. But you know, I've backed Chelsea. Um, you know, them beating United at their ground six one's huge. Um, so yeah, but it's, it's good. You know, Tottenham last year didn't have a you know, the best of seasons, you know, newly promoted. And now, you know, they're in the top three. So anything can happen <laughs> in any of the leagues, to be fair, even the championship. And Arsenal have already beaten Chelsea, haven't they? I think it was first game of the season, wasn't it? So Yes, yeah. It's obviously the reason that, that their uh, Arsenal are top and Chelsea are a bit further down is because of that game, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they've still got to play them again. Um but yeah, Arsenal, they looked really frightening yesterday. Um, but yeah, I'm sticking with my Chelsea at the moment. <laughs> and then the two big games on, on Saturday coming up, uh, Chelsea against Brighton, Arsenal away to Aston Villa. Um, do you see anything other than the wins for Chelsea and Arsenal in those games? I mean, Brighton are, are good. Um, they're very organised, having hope as their manager. But no, yeah, I do see them. Arsenal and Chelsea winning over the weekend. But again, you've got a. It's just crazy. Even look at the men's Premier League, it's just results are crazy. So, but yeah, I wouldn't expect them to lose. Um, and we obviously we're we're talking all about Chelsea and Arsenal and, and Arsenal maybe challenging for the title. And obviously, you know, in previous seasons, you've had uh, teams like Man City and obviously. Man United as well are an established WSL club. Which, which of the other teams you think that might might have a good season from what you've seen so far? Definitely Tottenham. Um, West Ham, when they played Leicester City yesterday, um, West Ham looked very good, actually. 
um, very organised, again, very attacking. Um, even though Leicester City are new to the league, you know, Leicester City has still got a very strong team. Um, so, yeah, no, West Ham, I, I think, will we'll do quite well. Uh, I mean, played them last year a few times and, you know, you could tell them that they weren't the top NWSL yet, but yesterday they looked really promising. Um, and also Brighton. But, you know, that, that defeat yesterday is not great, especially at home. So, yeah, I, it's hard. Chelsea, Arsenal, City and potentially Tottenham. But again, you know, it's still them top three. Uh, and looking at the the championship, I mean, on on the results so far, four four games um, played for for some of those teams. Um, that's looking like a really competitive league. You've got Sheffield United and Durham on top with nine points after four games each, and they both lost a game. Um, Liverpool only two points behind. Do you see Liverpool as as the sort of title contenders, maybe the title favourites in the championship? I think so with the, the summer signings they've had. Absolutely. Um, but you can never, ever, you know, championships is a very, very hard league. It's very hard. You know, the results just come from everywhere. Like yesterday, Palace probably could have drew against them. Um, but at the same time, Liverpool could have been four or five mil up um, in the first half. because They're completely two different halves. So it's hard. The championship is very tough. You know, you've got London Lionesses, you know, they're, I think they're a bit of an underdog, if you ask me, um, that they're very strong, very, very good players. So, you know, some of those players should be in WSL, same as um, Liverpool. But, yeah, I, I can't see... Liverpool haven't started the greatest, but, you know, we're still early on. <laughs> I mean, we've just gone out of September, so I would personally say Liverpool will be favourites, but... You just don't know Durham, especially, you know, they're, they're very, very good at home. Um, you know, play them many a times at their place and, you know, it's not a great place to go to. And they're very well organised. So it's a tough league. Everywhere in that league is very tough. And if you, um, you know, if, if you talk about the, the championship title, you, you played in a championship with Crystal Palace, of course. Um, who, who do you see as the, the other challengers in the, in the championship this season, apart from Liverpool? Durham, definitely. Sunderland um, and also Charlton. Charlton have had a lot of sign-ins. Um, and, you know, they didn't start off the great as their first two games, but they're really now coming into their own. Um, and they, they've got a brand new team pretty much, the same as Palace. You know, I, I speak to a few of the girls there still and there's promising signs from Palace. You know, again, they could be in the top six easily uh, once they start clicking. So... Yeah, it's very hard, Mark. <laughs> but it's exciting for women's football, and this is what it's about. It's about challenging. It's about you know not just having your top three, your top two. It's about having the whole league completely competitive. And now it's time for football fans from around the world. And this week we have David Jepson, a Manchester United fan in Stockholm, Sweden. David, welcome to the show. And I'd like to start by asking you about how you became a Manchester United fan. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so my my journey towards becoming a United fan is probably quite a standard one. I was a 90s child, so obviously just when United had started to win everything, I was being raised in the East Midlands, uh, and there weren't too many options in terms of who to support in that part of the world. So the first game I actually went to, my dad was Aston Villa. Um 
didn't really take to them. And basically everyone in my age and my school were United fans. Um, so I went down that route. So I was a glory hunter from the age of age of four, basically. And I've stuck with it ever since. Uh, and what's your your favourite memory in, in all of that time as, as a Man United fan? One of, one of my favourite memories was uh, during the 99 season. So it's one of my favourite football memories. It's also one of my most vivid memories from my childhood, generally. Um, we were lucky enough to get tickets for the FA Cup semi-final replay during the treble season. I don't know if you remember that, remember that game. Yeah. So it was against Arsenal and it was at Villa Park. Uh, so one of the greatest games of all time. And the thing I remember most, uh, I was sat on the seat next to the aisle. And I remember when, when Giggsy scored his goal where he beat five or six players, the place just erupted and I got smashed out of my seat and kind of rolled down the steps. But it was, it was just absolute like pandemonium. It was one of the most amazing moments in my life that I've whatever experienced. Yeah, and it's it's one of those iconic goals. Whenever you, you, you sort of see Manchester United on match of the day or something, they they often show that one. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And you, you mentioned gigs there. Who, who's your favourite Man United player in all the time that you've supported them? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm going to sound really kind of plastic here, but my, probably my two favourites were David Beckham uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, and obviously delighted to have him to have him back. Um, and you've been living in Sweden for for many years, I know. And Man United have had a, a couple of, shall we say, high-profile Swedish strikers in Henrik Larsson and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So, what do you think about the impact that they had on United? Yeah, I mean the um, the link between United and I, I'll say Scandinavia here, because obviously. In Scandinavia, you've got Sweden, you've also got Norway and Denmark. There's a really, really strong link between Scandinavia and Manchester United. They're one of the biggest supporters clubs in terms of membership. And even again, going back to that 99 season, you actually look back on the team and five of the key players in that squad were Scandinavians. So you had obviously Schmeichel in goal. Uh, we had Jesper Blomqvist, who he was electric when he played that season, and I don't again, if you, don't, if you remember him, but he he suffered really badly from injuries, unfortunately, but he started in the Champions League final. And then we had the three Norwegians. We had um, Henningberg, who performed some heroics during that year. Ronnie Jonsson, again, who played in the Champions League final. And of course, uh, Ole, who came on and scored the winner. And then, as you correctly said, during that time, we've had the pleasure of seeing both Henrik Larsson and Zlatan play at United and then Premier League. And I think it was really unfortunate that we got them too late. I, I think it was a real big miss again for United, but also for the Premier League that we never had Zlatan really at his peak and also Larson, who could have been one of the greatest goal scorers ever. I think if he'd have got himself away from Celtic with the most respect to them. Yeah. So and, and, and you've already re mentioned Ronaldo. What uh, you know, like many United fans, must have been massive excitement when you 
uh, obviously not when you heard that he might be going to City, but then when it was all about, oh, actually he's going to United, what, what were your thoughts and what impact do you think he'll have this season? That was, that was an unbelievable few days. I, I remember we had about a week to go, I think, in the, the transfer window. And obviously City had been linked with Kane all summer and it became obvious that wasn't going to happen. And they were talking about Ronaldo. And when I first heard it, it just made no sense. It made no sense from a football perspective for City, because I just couldn't see how he would fit into that system. And then on the other side, you just thought, why would you? <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. So when I first heard it, I thought there was nothing in it. And then each day that went by, it just seemed to pick up more and more momentum to the point where I, I'd started to accept this might actually happen. And then out of nowhere, it felt, it was on the afternoon, I remember, we saw the first story on BBC Sport, or that was where I first saw it, saying that United had inquired. And then literally two or three hours later, there was a story saying it was done. Um, and I think already in the first few games he's played, he's shown how much he's got left in the tank. <laughs> It's been a couple of unbelievable performances. So I think he's going to bring a huge amount to the team. And I heard someone compare him recently to the effect Cantona had on the, the, the kids, just having that, that personality and that belief. Um, so I think he'll have an impact, of course, this year and next year, but hopefully well after that. And just quickly, um, give us your prediction for where Man United will finish this season. Oh, if you'd have asked me two weeks ago, <laughs> it probably would have been a very different answer to what it is now. Um, it's been a tough, it's been a tough couple of weeks. See, we've lost, we've lost three games that we shouldn't have lost across three competitions. Um, I think Chelsea and City look unbelievably strong. So I think it's probably between us and Liverpool for that third spot. And I think we have a slightly deeper squad than Liverpool. So again, depending on injuries, I if Liverpool's main players stay fit, I think we, we could be in a battle for that fourth position. If Liverpool pick up a few injuries, I think we'll, we'll take third place. So it's a very optimistic answer for you. All right, David. Well, thank you for your time. Great to speak to you and uh, I'd love to get you back on later in the season to uh, see uh, if your prediction is correct. Yes, hopefully we're doing a lot better than what I thought. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, David. Early Doors Football Podcast for football fans worldwide. If you want to get in touch with Mark and the rest of the team, you can reach them on early doors at forthenow.co.uk.